Thanks for listening to Brokerage Insider. This week's episode was recorded live during the Explode Virtual Conference on Thursday, September 24th. We look forward to returning to our regular scheduled program soon, but until then, enjoy this session. In this episode, we interview David Gumper, founder of the Gumper Group, tech consultant with the Wave Group, and the former CTO of Michael Saunders Real Estate in Tampa, Florida. Thanks everybody for joining us. We've got a great room going so far. I'm really excited, uh, uh, David. We, we're doing the broker track here, and and uh, I think like a third or or a little bit uh, right at a third of the people that were in the opening session have chosen to come join us. So I'm I'm pretty stoked. I thought we'd have uh, people jumping into the the team track and the agent track, and and here we are. People actually want to pay attention to what we're going to say today. This is great. That's awesome. It's awesome. So uh, everybody, I am so excited. If you, if you do not know David, uh, you should. Um, David Gumper, he's first of all the founder of Gumper Group, um, which is a, a consultancy, a tech consultancy, but, but specializes in the real estate industry. And that's because David has a whole mess of, of experience in this industry. So he used to be the CTO of a, one of, if not the largest independent brokerages in the state of Florida. Uh, Michael Saunders and Associates, and um, he's just an all-around great guy and, and a data nerd like me. So the first session <laughs> that we're going to talk about today um, is uh, is brokers and using their data. And I got to tell you, David, I had some questions lined up for us uh, to talk about, and I literally scratched through all of them and started over yesterday uh, okay. because of what happened. So um, uh, with with the Zillow news, so I'm excited to to talk about that part. Um, but first of all, David, why don't you tell me a little bit, you know, I gave everybody the, the 10 second rundown, but why don't you give us the, you know, the, the minute or two minute rundown of, of your experience? Yeah, no, thanks, Eric. And uh, I'm, it's my pleasure to be here and, and be able to speak at this, uh, at this conference. It's, it's, it's really awesome. This is great. Great to see everybody's face and, and put those videos on. Why not? Um, it's always fun. But a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been in technology for, geez, uh, 25, 26 years. Started out as somebody as a little bit of a, with a CAD background, computer aid drafting back in the days for architectural, mechanical, uh, civil, uh, architectural, and kind of got into computers because, because of the CAD. I worked for small companies and did not have the resources to be able to get their computers fixed. And for some reason, I became the guy that fixed them. And uh, kind of went down that road, end up spending a lot of time uh, getting my different certifications, uh, worked in the pharmaceutical field uh, for uh, four or five years before I joined into uh, the real estate world uh, 17 years ago. Uh, so I spent the last 17 years, uh, well, 14 and a half of it as CTO for Michael Saunders and Company in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, was a member of, uh, I participated in the leading RE or leading real estate companies of the world on their marketing and technology advisory council for many years, as well as chaired it, uh, been a part of RESO, the real estate standards organization on their board of directors. And now recently over the last two years as chairperson for the broker advisory group. And if I if I can pitch that right now, I would. So go for it, David. You, you know, broke, we we need brokers out there because the whole purpose of the broker advisory work group within uh, the RESO uh, organization is to get feedback, is to understand the pain points that brokers are going through today, uh, and being able to see how a standards organization can help minify them, right, and, um, or or mitigate them, or uh, how standards could make your lives better, uh, our lives better, I should say. So um, there's a shout out to the RESO group and, and the broker advisory group. We do have our conference coming up in at the end of October where we're going to discuss a lot of things. And, and we're discussing a lot about data and streamlining the ability to obtain MLS data. So if you're a brokerage and want to go out into a new market, or you have a new technology partner that's coming in that's offering a specific product or service into your market, we need to make that whole process more streamlined and more efficient. And we're working on that with the broker advisory group. And so that's a. And I'm also a member of that broker advisory group uh, with David. I, I cannot possibly encourage people more to be involved. Frankly, folks, if you're a broker in this room, 
that group helps set the standards for how data works in real estate. And if, if you want to have any control over how your vendors uh, connect up and get data from MLSs or share data back and forth between each other. Uh, this is the venue to do that. And it is not terribly expensive to join RESO, the Real Estate Standards Organization, become a member and attend their uh, events. Um, so I highly encourage you uh, to be part of the conversation because uh, otherwise it's, it's mostly just MLS folks uh, yeah. <laughs> talking back and forth. And yeah. the problem is a lot of times they don't have that experience to know, you know, they haven't been a day in life of the shoes of a, of of a, a brokerage. Yeah. So, they don't have the insights. That's what this they, group is for is to give them the insights, right, Eric? Exactly. So they want it. They are looking for advice um, that they don't always get. So, so please come and join uh, join that. And Craig, I just saw your chat about, uh, about that. We'll make sure we post in the chat. It's, it's reso, R-E-S-O dot org is the, uh, is the website. If you want to go, uh, become a member of reso and then, uh, they have a monthly meeting. The broker advisory group meets, I think monthly, and then, uh, they have their, their big sessions, uh, twice a year. So, um, but without further ado, uh, David, let's let's jump into the the, the nitty gritty here. Um, so, you know, obviously, I want to talk to you about broker data. Right. Uh, and so, I, you know, yesterday Zillow had their announcement, um, and, and I think from the text messages I got yesterday, uh, and and the Facebook messages, and that and the you know every single one of our clients at Tribus I'm pretty sure most of the brokerages at Tribus reached out to me and sent me some sort of message saying either what do I do um, or Zillow's the devil uh, or um, <laughs> you know it's to be determined yet and um, I think you know from that perspective the, the the single unifying thing that I heard yesterday was brokers Yesterday was the rallying cry, the wake up call to brokers need to do things with their own data. Um, everybody, it seemed like I spoke with yesterday said, you know, I know you have, you know, Tribus, we have this data warehouse product uh, and they know that it's there, but, but brokers in general, I think they understood, hey, it's time to make sure I have all my own data. So, you know, we're for a broker that's sitting here listening to this, whether they're two people, 200 people, or 2,000 people, David, where do, you, where do you think they should start in terms of saying, I don't know, but I know I need to make sure I have my own data. Where do they start? First, the first place you guys start is to look at where the data is. Take a look at the different systems that you have and understand what the relationships are to those systems. So you really need to kind of do a data audit at the end of the day to see where the data is, what the domain of the data, in other words, what does it mean to you and to your business? And then kind of, uh, and then at that point, decide how and what you're going to do with the data. Come up with your own use cases. But it's really important to, um, even just from a, a privacy standpoint, because even with the, the California Consumer Privacy Act and the GDPR, one of the things that you're responsible for, um, and, and a lot of us are probably, unless you're a very large brokerage, are, are not really um, uh, confined to having to um, comply to those uh, privacy laws. But at the end of the day, it's just a real good thing to do and, and to practice. So you really need to know where your data is and then how's it being used, who's using it. So essentially, you've really got it. The first step for me is to take a, a to, is to do a data audit. Just go around through your systems and start auditing and documenting what the what data you do have. Can you provide just a couple of examples of things that brokers may not be thinking about? So I think when brokers, when I've had these conversations with them, I think most of them know, hey, I, I need to make sure that I have my my client data and and my transactional data. But is there anything else that they should be worried about collecting? Yeah, I mean, it's your lead data, right? Where are leads coming from? Uh, how many leads do you have? Who's getting those leads? Uh, it's your CRM data. So it's customer and client information, uh, interactions with the data. Uh, you, how many of you are using email platforms like MailChimp and, and Constant Contact and so forth? You have a lot of data in there that can be taken out. So as you can see, it, it, any kind of SaaS pro, uh, product that you are using in your business is really a source 
for that data. Um, and then there's external data uh, that, that brokerages should also get. And that's probably a separate topic in itself. But, uh, you know, the, I mean, uh, you know, social media is a, is a channel where there's some data that, that can be gleaned and, and, and stored and used from a broker standpoint. But, uh, um, but yeah, definitely any kind of SaaS product has data in it. So I don't care what it is, even your spreadsheets. I mean, I, we work with uh, data that's in CSV files that are sitting in, in your, your file system in your uh, was Microsoft OneDrive or Google Drive or Dropbox or Box.net or any in those storages. So that's all, that's all data that you have. And, and that's where, and, and it's from any kind of different source. And, and David, we got a question from the chat room that I just saw. And, you know, you and I are, are data nerds. To, okay, yeah, great. Uh, so let, let's step back for just a second. Um, uh, SaaS, by the way, uh, and, uh, you know, that is software as a service. So if you're a broker, um, you know, you probably have various tools like a website, a CRM, an email marketing platform, a transaction management system, an accounting system. That's always a big one. Um, those types of tools, you probably use third parties for all of those tools. And uh, so what David is talking about here is making sure you go to all of these vendors that you have or these software as a service um, uh, vendors and communicate with them uh, and say, hey, I, I need to get my data. And, and I think, David, I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but, but you know, and I'm biased in this, but, but you know, I think it's collect everything and then go from there is kind of what exactly, exactly. It's you need to do the data audit so that you know what data you have before you can even start to think about what you're going to do with it. Um, and, 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 and the easiest way to find out where that data is, is to take a look at your expense reports, you take a, you know, a year snapshot of your expenses and just go down. This is software I use. This is software I use. This is software. That's your first step. Um, and and, and uh, on a note on that, that's another way to go take a look at what are you using versus what you're not using on an expense report and start to uh, mitigate some of those expenses out of your bottom line. Well, there's another thing that I talk about all the time is, you know, looking at tools and just figuring out adoption rates and something, you know, at Trivis, we're, we have a 44% adoption rate on average. Uh, that means every agent logs into our system at least one time a week, 44% of all of our agents log in at least one time a week. And when we've looked at these audits with some of our broker customers, what we've realized is that the average adoption of most broker provided tools, depending on the tool, uh, but most broker provided tools hovers in the sub 10% range. And mm -hmm. so then as a broker, you know, you need to make these decisions. Do I, um, do I need to, need to keep paying for this? Or is this something that I should, uh, I should be worrying about um, or not? And in fact, right after David's session here, I'm going to be talking about some of those metrics and adoption rates um, and you, how you can use tech as a recruiting tool, but the mistakes that a lot of brokers make. Um, so I'm going to have that session right before break. Um, so, you know, we talked about getting the data, uh, we talked about, you know, making sure that you just figure out all the data that you have. Let's start talking about what to do with the data once you've collected it. So obviously, first step, you know, figure out what's there. Second step, uh, what do we do with the data? So let, let's, David, let's say we've got all of our client data, we've got our transaction data, we've even got our agent and production data, we've got all of that now in these CSV files. Where do we go next? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different tools out there that you can go next, but from a brokerage standpoint, it's to, uh, once you have it all, uh, once you have all that data, the, from a brokerage perspective, it's really to look at what your objectives are at the end of the day. What's, what's going to be important for your business? Cause just having the data isn't going to do anything. You really have to outline what your use cases are and what a use case is, is is really what an objective is. What, what do you want to do with, what do you want to do as part of your business? Then we can go in and say, okay, how can the technology or how can the data help you accomplish that? If it's retention, if it's recruiting, if it's production, uh, which I consider the three pillars of most brokerages when you evaluate, you know, the success of, of, of different projects or even initiatives within a, within a, brokerage, um, you want to have those objectives really outlined very clear. Um, 
So, because it's really about, it's not taking, it's not doing it the other way. I've seen people try to say, oh, let me go have all this data. Now let's go see what we can do with it. No, let's sit down and have a, a heart to heart talk and discussion on what is it that you want your business to do? Where, where do you see the deficiencies? Where are the gaps? Where do you need to be better at? Um, where, what are you what are you the best at? Because that's important to know, because then we want to take a look at the data that's helping you being the best at that. Um, and then we find out what those objectives are. And then we map that data to look at the data and see how that data can help uh, provide success in, that, in those objectives. And I think all too often, most brokers, most brokerages, unless you're a fairly large size organization, a lot of times they see they don't have those objectives in place. You know, I hear that the objective is yeah. I want to sell more real estate, right? Um, and well, obviously, okay, well, that's the obvious one. We, we want to make more money. <laughs> Otherwise, why are we doing this, right? Exactly. Uh, but, at, but at the end of the day, you have to have the individual objective to say, what can you tackle? I mean, there's that old saying that which is measured is improved, right? Um, and if you don't know what you're measuring, uh, you don't know how to tackle it. I think you get into la la land and then you're putting offices everywhere. This is something we saw back in 06 and 07 is we, we put an office anywhere and recruit and, you know, have a hundred, 200, $300,000 worth of expenses a year for that office uh, and, and have it not have paid off, but put it there just to put it there and have a presence. Right. Correct. So, yep. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, David. No, I was just, yeah, I was just going to just, iterate on that again is that it's it's really important to sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk and it's not that i want to increase my business but it's how do you want to increase your business where can you increase your business what can increase your business so you really got to go down deep uh, uh, into what and and it's also understanding what what is what has made your business successful as well because you you can't build objectives around something that's already been successful, but maybe it can be better. But the idea is to find out this is how you became successful. Where are your gaps? What are you missing? What do you need to uh, really look at? And, and it's, a, it's a deep discussion. It's a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Uh, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes, it's a little bit over time, but you also have to have that discussion. Not only, you know, you, you should have it with your leadership of your brokerage as well, too. Um, and sometimes it's great to have a third party in there to have that conversation because they'll hear things and listen to things and come up with a different viewpoint or a different perspective. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, yesterday I sat in a, in a brokerage listening to six people in a brokerage talk about training. And at the end of the day, it was... It, I, I heard one thing about training and I said, why, do our, why are, are we not looking at this opportunity to do it this way? And all of a sudden, everybody just, they all like, I don't know, it sounds good. Let's, let's try it. What can we do? How do we do it? And then we went from there and created a process and, and a, a strategic plan to move forward on that um, at, with tweaks naturally, and, you know, because nobody's 100% perfect. It's, it's the collaboration of, of everyone that really helps make objectives and, and strategic initiatives. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you don't know what you don't know if you haven't collected the data and that's exactly. why it's the first step. And then you can start working from there. Right. So let's say you've got your data. Um, you know, what are some things you've seen that brokers have done in this next step? What are some specific things you've seen that they've targeted and said, like, maybe it's where to put offices or where to remove offices or, or what's the next hot market? Yeah. Well, it, there's, there's two, I'll, I'll talk about two items that I, that I came up with. All right. Um, uh, one as w um, when I was CTO with Michael Saunders and company, uh, I, I took, I was taking, looking at MLS data, right. And I ingested MLS data and I used a very simple tool um, it's not real simple, but it's one of the more business intelligence tools out there for data visualizations, which is Microsoft Power BI. Uh, the desktop version of that is free. Uh, you can use it, but there's a lot, there's a lot more features and so forth to go with. But at the time it was free to use the desktop version it still is actually. And I, I just coalesced all the MLS data and I just was starting to build some, build some data visualizations. And the one thing, one, 
something that always resonated with me that Michael would say is that, you know, um, if you own the listings, you own the market. And that resonated with me. Um, and when she said that, I, I, when I was building these data visualizations, I said, well, how are we doing as a company in getting new listings on a month by month basis compared to our competitors, but more importantly, compared to the market as a whole, right? And what I found out was we weren't doing very well. We were, you know, if the market was gaining 5% new listings on a month by month basis, and we were gaining new listings, you know, let's say five, the market was doing 5% of new listings on the month, but Michael's and Michael's group was doing 4.2%. That meant we were 0.8% behind what the market was doing from a performance standpoint. And it was consistent. It was consistent over a long period of time. And what did that do? I was able to take that data and go to the leadership and say, look, this is, you know, while we are still number one in that marketplace on, on sales and volume and, and units, uh, when it comes to getting new listings, most of that was due to because of our, our, our average sales price, right, was, was substantially more than the market. So we were always doing very well. We still did a lot of units, a lot of both sides of the deal and so forth. So that, that always helped. But actually getting new listings, and that's where the executive team looked at it and said, well, what, can, what do we need to do? And this is getting down to the dirt. The gap is, what do we need to do to get new listings and to improve in the way we do listings? So one was a seller lead gen program. You know, we went out and looked at, you know, several different one and buy side at the time was there and we implemented buy side as a lead gen program from the seller side. And, and then also formulated a training program around it to have these conversations, not just technic, uh, technical training, but also sales training about the importance of getting listings and so forth. So that was one, one area where uh, an example of how I was, using this data. Um, the next area that I really want to take a look at, and I just wrote a, a blog article about it or did a, a, a vlog, video log on it was, um, a video blog on it was, uh, I like to take a look at transactions falling through or deals that are, don't make it to the transaction table. Question is why, how come? And it was kind of interesting because I, I even tell this story in, in the video is that, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who is uh, uh, Chris Callahan, who's the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer for Weicker Companies in New Jersey. And uh, we were talking about it and he said, well, geez, Dave, he said, I, I would think most of them would deal because, fall through because of attorney review. And I said, well, that might be normal for New Jersey. And I said, you might be right, but nobody can tell you by how much. Nobody can tell you what percentage of all the deals that have fallen through, whether it was attorney review, was it inspection, was it financing, right down the road. And I said, there's no data. Nobody has that type of data. There's, that's, this is a perfect example of a place where we could go and look at the data that we have. And it's not just MLS data. It's other data that you're going to need to be able to build essentially an algorithm to take a look to say, because what my feeling is, is what happens if we could take even just, uh, let me just put some stats behind this. In my research, and this is anecdotal, there's no, no study or anything, anecdotal, just me going around and talking with brokerages and seeing financials and so forth. I noticed that deals falling through ranges from anywhere from 7% to 14% a month. And when, and looking at that, I was like, okay, well, I know how the math goes to figure out how much volume that is and sides and so forth. What does that mean in dollar volume and, and lost volume company dollar to the brokerage as well as lost revenue to the agent? Uh, because while it's might not be lost revenue because the buyer might go on and still use the same agent but that means more time, more effort, more energy has to be put in. It's better to, you know, it's better to eat your ice cream while you have it versus waiting a while, you know? So, uh, but it's, that's an area where data, it's going to be MLS data. It's going to be CRM data, your customer data. It's going to be uh, 
external data, social media data. It's going to be email data, you know, looking at email to see, to find using AI and natural language processing to be able to look at keyword phrases that might trigger an event that says that raises the yellow flag, the caution flag on the racetrack and says, Hey, you're about to, if you don't slow down here or do something, you're going to have an accident. All right. Or you're going to become part of an accident. And, and that's where I think, and, and looking at the financials, even if we save just 10% of those, of those deals, it's significant amount of company dollar. Um, and not only that, uh, just to look at the customer experience that goes along with that, uh, that could be gained, that could be solved, that could be taken care of. And, and you'll see another, um, I, we actually just finished um, uh, another video blog. Um, we just taped it the other day with a branch manager from Michael Saunders, who's always looked at that stat and has come up with some ideas to how to combat it from, from, uh, from, a, from a, a, a manager's perspective and what can be done to help that. But to me, it says, well, she needs a lot of help just to realize that there are deals that, are, that might fall through and if, what can we give heads up to it? So those are two instances where there's a lot of data out there that we could pull together and use and build, build uh, products and services or really to help the business be more efficient, more effective. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, so funny, and David and I, and part of this got brought up because David and I have been talking about this in the, the resale work group, the broker work group. Um, and, you know, it was, it, this was a, tr a stat that I tracked for my brokerage back 20 years ago or 18 years ago now uh, that I was tracking because one of the things that I wanted to know was, um, you know, especially on new agents, what was their percentage of deal kills? And uh, it's, it's definitely higher. And so what that allowed me to do is to focus training on uh, exactly. to these new agents, particularly about how to counter problems that come up in deals. Um, all too often, I think you'll find agents uh, just kill a deal because it's easier than it is to try to work to solve the problems that are going on in the deal. And that's not to say when you find the house that you, you get to an inspection, you find out the house is falling down. Uh, you know, that, that's a different story. But, but there's a lot of times where the person gets in and, and they get an inspection report. And uh, instead of calming the buyer and working through the problems and the concerns with them, they'll just say, oh, yeah, there's a lot wrong here. We, we'll just go find the next one. Or what I found, the biggest two things for me was that was number one. Number two was the lender uh, was messing things up and causing problems and not willing to do, go the extra mile to get a buyer, you know, through the final approval steps. And so we, uh, we identified lenders that were better at keeping deals together. So it wasn't even necessarily just our agents, it was the partners that we worked with, the, the, uh, the mortgage companies, et cetera, uh, were out there killing these deals. So um, definitely a stat, but the problem is if you don't collect the data, you don't know. And I have yet to meet a brokerage that before we started working with them, started collecting that data. David, other than, you know, in, 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 at Michael Saunders or, or, you know, wherever, have you heard of any brokerages that actually keep track of, of that kind of data right now? Uh, not really. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my experience too. Uh, no. Um, so we do have a question from Craig. Uh, Craig said, Eric and David, virtual offices have become much more prevalent in the last couple of years. Would you discuss your views on the future of, of these uh, offices? And, and let's try to keep it a little bit to the data perspective since that's the topic here. Um, but, you know, David, have you seen data on uh, virtual companies like EXP that are out there versus companies that have offices and the data and the agents that they're recruiting? Have you, have you looked at anything like that? No, no, I haven't looked at anything like that. I mean, but I think we're seeing, I, I, it's going to be evident that we're going to have virtual offices pretty soon. I, I actually kind of was a proponent of this many, many years ago um, and got shot down real quick because it's always, you know, because this business is relationship-based business, right? Um, and it's about staying connected with people and so forth. But now we're going to need to stay connected with people in a whole different manner. Um, and and it's, it's just an augmentation 
of, of how, we, how we're going to do this in the future. Um, I definitely think if you're as a brokerage looking to get into new markets um, and seeing how that works, virtual is a great way today to, to do that. Um, and if I was to take a look at some numbers, I would take a look at what my technology costs would be versus the facility costs that I have. So I definitely would look at the financials and, and put together a pro forma around what that model would look like and, and see what the difference is. Um, and, and then from that point of that data is it's, you know, the, who is going to be able to safely and securely be able to do the virtual office um, type of environment. But I think we're starting to all get used to having meetings like this. I know a lot of brokerages today still are doing their sales meetings in the mornings on Tuesday or Wednesday mornings or whatever with their, with their uh, agents are still virtual. Uh, it's just, it's just needs, it's going to go down that pathway. So it's, we are going to have a virtual office uh, environment. Uh, I think it's going to be part of, I don't think it's going to be holistic uh, in the sense of a hundred percent migration to that, but it's going to augment our, ability to create relationships because you're still going to need a place um, even with all the technology for virtual title and escrow and and there's a, some other new products that are coming out on the market that's really taken hold of uh, of the of the pandemic and the fact of social distancing and uh, I call it social spacing uh, and to uh, um, be able to still close deals um, in different locations so the, um, you, you know, from, from that perspective, one of the things that I have been an advocate for that I, when I ran my brokerage that we did that I, is what I'll call now the hybrid model, which is we didn't have, you know, a lot of brokerages have these 10,000 square foot offices, right? And it's, it's all about class A office space and cram a bunch of people in there, et cetera. And what we did at my brokerage is, um, and we did this under our marketing budget is we put lots of offices, but got one bay offices in strip centers and things like that, where it was 700, 800 square feet. And we put in uh, um, long tables for agents to sit down and work at. And there were some rooms in the back to have private meetings, but there was no staff necessarily in the office. You got in and out via a key card. Every uh, Wi-Fi in all of the offices was the same. So you walked in, your computer just worked, the printer just worked. And that way we had a presence in the market for the consumer to feel like, hey, they're here, we've seen them. I, I really, it's what I was following was the Edward Jones approach where it's small yeah. offices, but in lots of different places instead of big offices with a thousand, uh, a thousand people in them. So um, I think, you know, consumers are looking for something with an office. I think the completely virtual environment, you're gonna to have to overcome that challenge for the next 10 years or so. Yep. But at the same point, I was listening to something from McKinsey and Company, which is a uh, one of the most, if not the most uh, well-known and respected business consultancy companies all over the world. They work with huge uh, uh, Fortune 50 companies. And they, uh, they came out and said that the adoption of, of digital technology in the past five months, six months, uh, has been more accelerated as past where we would have been in five years from now. So I think the needle swings more to the virtual environment, but maybe with some offices to, to be there right. and be solid and show, you know, it's like a bank. How many people want a bank where there's no, it's all digital banking. They want to be able to go in when they need to, to a Bank of America or a local regional bank where they can sit down and shake a hand with somebody. But at the same time, 90% maybe of their banking, they do completely on the website. But when they need that person or when they want to talk to the person, they really want to go somewhere and meet with them, right? Yeah. And that, and, and Craig, to your question about the quality of data um, would improve with virtual because of being forced to use online platforms versus paper and offline data. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with that statement because of the it, virtual will push more technology and it's really, I think really uh, has enticed more agents to become more, to use that technology, right? Where it was so much easier before, there was no, there was no reason 
why to use technology when I, as a broker, I've always been, or and as an agent, been going out and signing contracts and doing handwriting. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I got gray hair. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, this is how I've done my business and this is how I'm going to continue to do it. But the, but this, uh, the pandemic and the fact of going virtual really makes people have to use the technology to be able to perform all the tasks that they need to do or to sign contracts. So the, the improvement in data quality is definitely there um, uh, uh, because of these online platforms that are out there. And there's a new one coming out called Every Offer to deal with the multitude of offers, especially in markets that are very, very hot. Um, and um, so, yeah, the quality of data is definitely going to be 100 times better. But also, you also have a, a huge risk mitigation to, to deal with, and that's the security and the privacy of that data. Because now, before someone would have to break into an office and know where to go look for that paperwork to steal that information, today, when it's digital, it's all available. That's absolutely right. Okay, so we only have about six or seven minutes left here, David. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you about what's next in tech and broker tech. And so the first question I had for you is, um, as far as, uh, you know, is it, is it, are we going to a world of best of breed tech or are we in a world of all in one tech? And, and for, for people listening in, what I mean by that is there's been kind of a debate previously, the only options out there for broker tech for the most part up until a few years ago was really, it was a, an all in one approach. You had to go to one vendor and they were your CRM, your email marketing, et cetera. And then a few years ago, the concept of integrations came out and, you know, Tribus is and was a big believer in the concept of, of integrations. Um, and then you could work with the best of breed where you said, hey, I'm going to use Tribus for my website and, and my CRM, but I'm going to maybe use ActivePipe for my email marketing platform. Right. And so uh, they, we swung that way. But now I'm starting to see it swing back uh, because the promise of integrations uh, didn't meet the expectations. So where do you see it at currently, David? And where do you think we're going to be in a couple of years from now? Well, the, first of all, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I mean, I know there's books been written about all the different tech, you know, vendors and platforms that are out there and the different types for the different purposes and so forth. It's, it's really dependent upon the brokerage itself. It's the culture of the brokerage. It's it's the size of your brokerage. It's how do you want to run your brokerage? Um, it's who is in your brokerage? Who is your CIO? Who is your marketing person? Um, even for smaller brokerages, who are, who are your, your tech vendors that you're used to help you know, solve your technology problems that you use? It's really dependent on those teams and the culture of the company and what you feel best is. It's really sitting down and I don't like, I don't call it a SWOT analysis. It's really sitting down and have a true in-depth analysis of your company and where you want to go um, and then go out and try to find the vendors that, that solidify or, or is going to make that promise that's going to make it help. Now, the reason I believe integrations has failed, um, there, there's actually the, the, the best of breed method um, has failed is because the, the strength of leadership was not there to help prevent it uh, from not working, uh, to not making it successful. There's a, lot, there's a lot of insight into how data works, how data has to transform between two different systems to make it work properly. And a lot of times the, the teams that are not strong enough to handle that. And that's where the best of breed approach was not successful. I've seen best of breed approach be very, very successful in brokerages, but the strength of the team to sit down and get their hands dirty and understand it's not just taking a, a one from this system and putting that one in here. There's use, there's business rules, there's business cases. It's going to be, well, who is the, a simple question is, who is going to be considered the authoritative source of that data? Because you want to have an authoritative source. You want to have this, you want to have a source of where that data resides that you know is 100% correct. And everybody else who's getting that data, they have to get it their way and they have to make sure that they're 100% compliant to that. 
to that authoritative source. So just even things like that, that's where I see best of breeds. I like best of breeds personally. That's what I used to do at Michael Saunders, even, even to the point of creating my own best of breed application, which I had to do 10, you know, 10, 12 years ago, because there was not a lot of these technologies out there or available. But, um, and since have transitioned them to different best of breeds, but it's because, you know, myself and my team, we had the, the capability of ensuring those integrations happen, not just by moving ones and zeros, but understanding the business rules and why and how is it going to make certain tools more efficient, more effective for the agent. Because if it doesn't do that at the end of the day or for the brokerage, if it doesn't do that at the end of the day, then you kind of fail. That, yeah, I, I um, overall agree, but I think I, you hit the nail on the head of you got to be, as a broker, you got to be willing to get your hands dirty. Best of yep. breed work, uh, but it's going to be a nightmare, and you, you just need to recognize that it's going to be it's a nightmare. Be. <laughs> um, there's a comedian that I love, Brian, uh, Brian Regan, and he does this whole bit about getting phone service at his house turned on. This is, you know, obviously from 20 years ago, a bit. But, uh, and he said, well, why can't you turn it on now if it's just clicking a button? And they said, oh, well, it's just, it's going to be a nightmare. That's just our policy. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think you have to go into it recognizing integrations are difficult. And there is always, because every company that integrates with a broker platform vendor, every other company is going to make it sound like it's, it's rainbows and unicorns and you just flick that switch and everything is magically going to start working. And, and what we've discovered is, um, no matter how much as a broker platform vendor, we work with the other vendor to try to make that uh, a seamless experience for the brokerage and for their agents. Um, it, it rarely turns out to be that way. And, and that's why I actually think we're swinging back towards the all-in-one approach, because I think a lot of brokers identified that, uh, uh, that you know, it's better to at least have all their data and all their users in one place and not have to create a user in 17 different places uh, when they start up at the company, uh, at least it's all in one place from support uh, perspective, rather than uh, having to worry about turning on an account with this company and this company and this company. So uh, I do have a couple more questions that I want to go over with you, David, and, and I'm going to shorten my session down a little bit because I think we're, we're, in a, we're having some good back and forth here. So I'm going to shorten my next session on recruiting uh, a little bit to make sure we're hitting our time or if anybody wants to stick on past the break, I can stick on a little bit. Uh, but I did want to ask you about AI and machine learning. So, you know, this is something I think you hear a lot in the industry uh, as these terms that are bandied about as, uh, <laughs> as like just fluff words to get you to sign up for things. I hear it all the time uh, from our competitors saying, oh, well, we have AI and machine learning. And I doubt that the salespeople generally even know what they're talking about when they mention these things. So from that perspective, well, first of all, let's say AI and machine learning theoretically have been around for a very long time. It's just a new marketing spin that we put on the concept of it. And Correct. the fact that computers have gotten much better at building the models um, around these things. So, you know, is there, is there a uh, AI uh, or machine learning entree to brokers? Is there something that brokers mm. do uh, right now or that they should be looking for? Um, uh, currently, or is this um, is this something that they should let vendors think about, or or not worry about for another couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's several different things out there. Uh, one being your images, your photography for your for your properties. I think there's some decent AI out there, uh, companies that are doing AI that are able to classify and tag, you know, different styles of homes. Uh, what's inside the home, you know, the living room and, uh, and what type of appliances and if it's a bedroom or so forth. And where that becomes very beneficial is when we look at being compliant to the WCAG, which is the um, uh, website, um, uh, what is the uh, content, the uh, website content uh, accessibility group, which is yep. through the World Wide Web Consortium, which is another standards organization, but which is for ADA compliance, right? Uh, how many, uh, all your images on your website should have some type of what that's called an alt tag, or it should have a description of what that picture is. Um, a lot of us don't do that. And that's where AI today is probably the most prevalent in some place that if you're looking 
to do something a little bit better is to talk to your vendors about AI um, and, and, and your photography and how can you make sure that that photography is compliant to uh, ADA rules. And I actually just posted, I did a great yeah, uh, interview with the uh, COO uh, and uh, head of legal counsel for Leading RE, Leading Real Estate Companies of the World, um, where I discussed this exact issue and we go through in depth what you should do or what you should be thinking about as a broker. So I, I you know, highly encourage everybody to, to take a peek and listen to that podcast uh, if you have a second. Uh, because if you haven't been sued or looked at by one of these organizations that are trying to sue people for not being ADA compliant, you probably will be uh, uh, in the very near future. But, you know, Respi is doing great work with that, with the uh, um, image tagging, Respi.ai uh, is, is doing excellent work with that. Um, it's, it's really, when you take a look at AI, AI is what it's supposed to be able to take data and create or craft new data from it at the end of the day, or results or events. Uh, so don't get, yeah, the fluff part of uh, AI, it's used a lot, but there's really not a lot of it being used in our industry at this time, because it's very expensive. And not only that, it's hard to get the data, because <laughs> you got to get the right data points for it in order to be able to be six, to train a model to start learning on how that data, what, what's in that data. Um, and once you, then you have to test that, that trained model. You have to test it to verify and validate what's the propensity of it being accurate and what that accuracy rate is. So, um, but there's not a lot of AI. There's still bits and pieces of it out there and some of our prop tech vendors are using, uh, Respi being one of them for photography. I know a few others that are, are going to come out soon that have some AI in them in how their algorithms are written, but it's really, it's, it really hasn't really gotten into our industry at a, at a, at a, at a deeper level. Yep. That's right. All right. A couple last ones for you here. Um, coaching platforms, you know, this is kind of the, the new broker tech and Tribus has been in this space for a while, but it's now, it's, it seems like it's starting to catch on a little bit that brokers want to provide a platform that, that uh, is able to talk, tell their agents kind of where they're at, their numbers, some of these data points that we were talking about before. Do you see yep. coaching platforms catching on or do you still think that coaching is a one-to-one, -one, um, you need to get on the phone and talk to uh, you know, a, a coach or somebody in your brokerage or something like that? Or do you think it can be at least mostly uh, set up in a system to kind of keep track of what the agent is doing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's several different items out there when we talk about coaching, and and part of it is just uh, it's it's giving the brokers or the their leadership team at the at the branch office level the ability to have better insights into the financials of how agents are doing, um, and 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 it's not just financials; it's how they are doing with the leads that they are getting, whether they're internal leads, um, their sphere of influence. Um, are they growing their sphere of influence? Those are metrics that are, I, they're the KPIs, you know, key performance indicators uh, for each one. It's still a one-to-one -one relationship. I, I, I'm, I firmly believe when it comes to the actual coaching pieces, but the data that's needed to support that is becoming more uh, prevalent out there in the different platforms and as part of those platforms or as a solution. Um, all, you're always looking at, and, and agents really are too, they kind of like to know where they're at today and why not? You know, geez, I set a goal for myself to, you know, do, you know, 4 million in sales this year. And, you know, here it is September and I'm only at 1.2. Well, I better be, I better be starting to kick butt here a little bit to, to make that goal because I anticipated making a certain amount of revenue from that, right. For my, for myself. Right. So that's, I think that's, that's where it. it's coming as far as a, a, a reporting metric to keep myself informed during the whole year uh, of where I am and what I'm doing, but also to provide insights to the managers that they can go in and then have that one-on-one -on -one conversation and, and, and figure out what the agent yeah, needs to do. Right. Yep. Uh, exactly. All right. Last question for you, David. Okay. Uh, advertising. 
So we're in a, um, you know, and I know tech is your, your, uh, is your thing, but we're in a world where brokers, um, you know, Zillow was a way of generating leads, et cetera, for brokerages in the past. Um, are we, you know, do you think brokers start using tech and data to start doing their own ads going forward? Um, or do you think they still sub it out um, to various vendors that are out there? I think it's, it's, I think for the short term, it's going to be subbed out to the various vendors that are out there um, only because they've already gotten proven processes and success stories and uh, um, it's easy to do. Uh, do I think it should be something we brokerages should dive into deeper? Absolutely. There's, there's a platform, it's called uh, Consumer Data Platform or CDPs. Um, all the major retailers use this. Uh, Salesforce just recently announced that they're launching their consumer data platform. What a consumer data platform does is literally it captures everything about a consumer from their, not only just their data about them, but also their interactions with the, with the customer's website to uh, uh, reading emails to, I mean, it captures a lot of information. And the purpose of the CDP is to be able to target the right advertising to the right consumer in real time. So it, you, you, they found that using CDPs really helps in that area. Um, and, and, and we're seeing uh, Salesforce just re recently has launched theirs. Uh, or uh, and um, are going to be, I think, in the next month or two. Adobe has one as well too. Problem is, is that a lot of a lot of these tools that would be more that a broker would use, they're they're probably outside of our. They are, I know, because I've done the research already. They're outside of our price range from a broker standpoint. But it doesn't mean that we couldn't get a collection of brokers together uh, and do something on that end. But uh, I would love to see that in the future. But I think today short term, we're going to continue to use the, the mechanisms that we have available to us to do our marketing and advertising. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us here, David. I really appreciate you uh, giving, giving your time and, and some great answers. Hopefully everybody uh, that's listening in here got lots out of it. So again, David is the uh, founder of Gumper Group um, and a tech consultant, a brokerage consultant. Uh, and he's the former CTO of uh, one of the largest independent brokerages in the country, Michael Saunders. Uh, so thank you, you very much for joining and, us. And you can find me on the Wave Group because I do partner with uh, Wave Group too. So W-A-V-G-R-O-U-P. That's right, Wave Group. Uh, and that's where you can find, he, he had that excellent uh, um, uh, podcast that you just did uh, on the contracts and, and yep. on killing contracts. So you can find that on wavegroup.com. Uh, so again, David, thanks so much for joining us. Perfect.